Greetings and welcome to The Pure Report. I'm your host, Rob Ludeman, and it is time to bring the orange with our special guest, Chris Evans. I've been really looking forward to having you on the program. Welcome. Great to have you here. Thanks, Rob. Good to be here. Yeah, and, and here at Accelerate, too. Yeah, yeah, we're sitting in a little glass box with no roof. I call it my fishbowl. It's very much like a fishbowl, and it's, it's, yeah, it is. Except, thank goodness, no water. That's right. Yeah, and everybody can look in and make faces and and distract. Uh, yeah, I'll get Rena later. Please, yeah. yes, let's get she Rena. Probably, she'll probably post that picture. You can link to it. Yeah, I'm going to make her do a podcast. That's what I should I think actually that's a do. Great right? idea. Yeah, I should make her do that. Hey, you uh, you run your own firm called Brookend. Yep. Right, and I'm also really excited to have you in because you're a fellow podcaster. You do Storage Unpacked. I was listening to one of your episodes last week. Were you punishing your children at the same time? Yes, I had my son in the car, and he was wondering why I was not playing '80s rock and roll music. Yeah, mine don't do not like it when I do that. So I've I've got away from doing that because they get very upset if I make them listen to. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's some sort of punishment, right? I think so. Uh, <laughs> but yes, you're right. I do run my own business. Um, Brookend is the company name, but the actual brand is Architecting IT, okay. which is the website and Storage Impact, as you said, is the, um, is the podcast specifically focused on storage. There is another um, podcast out there called the Hybrid Cloud Podcast, which you may or may not have seen. I've not really had time to put a lot up there, but that is going to be another line. So, But mostly it's it's a storage focus, which is my background. Okay. And you've been doing this for quite a while. I mean, storage in general. Storage right? in general? Storage in general, you've been around... Since 1987? Yeah. That's quite a while, I guess. I could call that quite a while. Yeah. yeah. Um, back when discs didn't have RAID, and yep. they came in cabinets that were as tall as you and I are, uh, and had old men sitting poking pipes at them, if you've ever seen that famous picture of the IBM Ramac from the 1950s. Well, I grew up with that. My dad was uh, uh, an IBM employee for 35 years, wow, and he did storage marketing. It's funny how we follow in the footsteps of our wow. of our parents. But I remember it, his his anecdotal story because I showed him something I was doing at a prior company um, was that their big sales meeting in 1989 was to get together how to figure out how to sell a terabyte to the entire planet. A terabyte is a lot of data, and was a lot boxes, of data in that yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, at that time for sure, yeah. for sure. But uh, but it's come a long way. I think that's what we're trying it to certainly has. trying to get here. And and um, if I look at the evolution of it from the size of those boxes as they were in those days to the size of things you've got on the show floor today and the capacity increase, you couldn't have imagined we'd ever have got to where we've got to. It is absolutely incredible. I think it's incredible we just talk in terms of petabytes now like it's no big deal. Yeah. Yeah. What was a petabyte? Did we even know what a petabyte was? I don't even think, well, ago? I know exabyte, right? I mean, that's something that they've just, you know, just kind of made out of thin air. Yeah. I mean, I realize there's actually a, a legitimate scale for those things that, that is in science, but I don't think that ever came up. No, I think it's a, it's a good example. I had a job, oh, 20 years ago, which isn't that long ago, where I looked after 300 gigabytes. Now, <laughs> 300 gigabytes is just like, it's, it's a drop in the ocean. You, it know, is. you can get memory cards that... A 256 and 512. Oh, now. yeah. No, so, easily. But I looked after an entire room's worth of storage, and it was only 300 gig. You get a lot of exposure, right? You, you work with a lot of, a lot of different uh, entities, a lot of companies, a lot of different vendors. Yeah. What's, what's your favorite part of, of what you do? Just seeing all the different technological developments or working with the people? Like What, what do you love about, <laughs> about the situation you're in right now? The easy answer is to probably just say it's a mixture, but okay. I'll, I'll explain what I mean by that. Yeah, sure. It is definitely true. Um, I've always been a technologist at heart and really love the technology. So seeing how people can be creative and companies can be creative to move that technology on, create new technologies, bring it to market, and just actually just purely from a technical perspective, how they, they can achieve things you think were almost you think would be impossible. But at the same time, the best bit is then how you use it. 
yeah. and how you can then apply that and you can do things you couldn't do five, ten years ago. And it's the application of it I think I find more interesting now, either making our life easier as um, an administrator or as an IT um, person, but also business, just changing business to allow us to do things we never did before. So I'm as much interested in that side of it as I am about the technology. But you're still a technologist at heart. You still love to go and, you know, open machines up and pull things in and out and I play do. with things, and, right, um, and just see how they work. Absolutely. So yeah. I, w I went back um, two years ago and I started looking at C code again and started writing in C. Ah, I've written nice. anything in C for years. So I wrote file system in C. Uh, from scratch to do for something I was working on. And I love getting right back into that detail. Uh, and it's great fun and I think it keeps your brain alive and it yeah. keeps, you, keeps you active. So given the chance, I'm straight back into it. It's kind of like riding a bike as you kind of got up to speed with that? It was like falling off a bike many, many times and then, <laughs> and and then, then learning to ride remembering how to ride. Yeah, All yeah. right, so not quite... Not quite as not nice quite, as just getting on and going. Not yeah. quite the same. Yeah. Um, as a fellow podcaster, how did how did you come about? How did you, how did you decide to do that knowing what we know, which is yeah. once you start it, you can't stop. it follows you forever it and does. you cannot get out of it, which so, is fine. It, it, it's a good thing. It was one of the things where there were there were a number around and different friends had done some podcasts that had survived on, and not survived. Um, and a friend of mine and I, we were talking about it, Martin, who I podcast with, who's on the show every week. Um, we talked about it and we said, you know, we should do a storage one. Right. And, and we looked at it and I thought, could it be that hard? How, who would we have as guests? What would we do? And in the first couple of episodes, I was at a, uh, I think, Hitachi event. So I just said to them, just let, let me record some stuff and we'll put it up and we'll see how it works. And actually, it seemed to go okay. Yeah, yeah. And very quickly, just we got into a routine. It took about, I don't know, three or four months before we were doing something quite frequently. So maybe we were doing two a month or something like that. And then we thought, I thought, should we get to one a week? One a week seems not too bad. Um, and then you suddenly you get into it and it becomes a habit and you just really enjoy that discussion. And as you start to get into finding better and better guests and more interesting guests, you really dig down into some very, very interesting aspects of both the technology, the people, and the process and the industry. And, and it's that mix that I think is really interesting. Yeah, I think people would be surprised that the barriers to entry to doing this are quite low. To, to minimal, to, to I mean, to nothing, you know, the Zoom yeah. recorder is a few hundred bucks and, you know, you need some microphones, but they don't need to be that fancy. No, and yeah. funny enough, I mean, obviously we all tend to have a similar set of equipment. Right. But in general, if you're recording remotely, you could do it with Skype or you could use other technologies. The quality of the recording is really important, so you don't want to be... It is. You want that to be consistent. Head, I agree you there. You don't use a cheap headset or something like that. Yeah. But actually getting it published through iTunes and getting it access to people who might want to download it is really easy. Yeah. And iTunes is like, you know, you, you share an RSS link, it's up, you put an image with it, and you're on their directory. And there it goes. And it yeah. shows up. Uh, I mean, I loaded one last night at 1230 and it was up within minutes. I posted yeah. one this afternoon. Yeah. I went back and looked on my phone. Two minutes later, it's there. Did you there. get the alert? Did you alert kind I don't of popped get up alerts. on the podcast? Okay, you don't get alerts I'll on the podcast app. I'll just go and see yeah. if I can refresh it. And yeah. Oh, actually, I do. I know what you mean. It comes in on yeah, the Yeah, where it just kind phone. of flies in and goes, hey, you know, yeah. I'm available now. So I just refreshed it, and there it was. And I thought, I published that like two minutes ago, sitting in this auditorium, after having edited the content for an hour. It's great. So the only difficulty, I guess, is nowadays there are so many podcasts. Yes. You, you're needing to try and find something that's a bit of a differentiator or a bit unique or a bit a bit fun. And keeping it lighthearted and fun as, you, as you're doing it is, is also important. I've got a question for you, Rob, actually. Yeah, yeah, no, you're turning the tables on me. So <laughs> how many outtakes have you got that you could compile into something really funny? I have very few, actually. I okay. we, we tend to do a lot, so of, a lot of one shots. Okay. I... I 
in my own opinion, doing just a straight through tends to be, um, I, I think, more natural. Mm -hmm. uh, and I try not to edit out a lot of a lot of things. Um, actually, you might not be surprised that the, the, the best outtakes I have, I've done a few episodes with Vaughn, Vaughn Stewart. Okay, yeah. And so the best outtakes I have are with him, with him. and they're mostly of him. <laughs> okay. Are the outtakes. Uh, yesterday, Stephen Foskett, I started and he went blah, blah, blah as I was doing my intro. Yeah. And we actually are considering keeping that in, in, in the episode. He's a nightmare. Which, which would have... Uh, you, you said go. it. You what said it, say? not me. We had a fun conversation, just like this. It's yeah. uh, it's going really well. So, what about you? Uh, Hundreds outtakes? of outtakes. Lots. Yeah. When we first started recording, um, and this was when we were using Skype, we hadn't moved on to something a bit more formal. We were doing Skype group calls, and I called the guests from the week before. So we're already recording. Yeah. And one of my co-presenters goes, "Why is he calling him again?" And of course, forgetting that we can actually oh, hear him talking. Oh, geez. And then this guy answers, and he's like, "Why are you calling me?" And we're like, oh, sorry, I miss Miss Dowd. And he was, he's quite a sweary person, so he starts swearing oh, a bit yeah. at us. Yeah, yeah. And then we hang up, and I thought, I'm going to save those up, and one day I'm going to do that blooper reel. Do at the, the very whole end blooper just, reel. Because there's some really good ones, really good ones. Maybe we, we need maybe we need to screw up more so I have more good 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 blooper reel. Although you know, I do. I have a team that does the editing, and if there is anything, yeah. Lucky so I, I have a I have that privilege. That was part of the deal when I kicked this off, you know, because okay. I have a day job. My real job is not being podcast guy you know so um so that is a that is a, a privilege that i have hey you had you had brian schwartz on recently yes around I, object I, engine yeah I, I was in your office yeah um we were sitting having a conversation and i just whipped out the zoom and just said let's just do something while we're sitting here and and we just knocked 20 minute discussion up job done yeah he's and that, that's the great thing about it though you can if you you know in the right place at the right time you can just create something and you're done yeah absolutely um turning our attention to here how's how's your experience been uh, at accelerate so far it's been very good yeah I'll, i will give some kudos to steven doing the t field of extras at the beginning right right great because we get that deep dive was helping you give that deep dive preview to yeah. kind of understand what was coming yeah and that's and that's always good um and um, Pure have been great to put the right sort of people up in front of us. So the people who are, you know, great at talking, prepared to go deep into the product and, and it help us both understand your purchasing, sorry, your design decisions and yeah, where yeah. you got to with the product and so on. So I enjoyed that. And then, of course, then we get into a bigger picture of direction of the company, strategy, where things are headed, where you're going to go next, what, what the futures might be. Um, and I like that because comparing to other companies in the industry, you start to feel which companies have got a, a real strong sense of um, personality or at least a sort of um, an entity within the company that you can see. Others just seem, sometimes you see people who seem to be there just simply to sort of do the job without right. actually having that passion to bring it forward. Mm -hmm. Whereas here, it just seems to be really very much all about really having that um, community about the company as well as you know the commercial aspects of selling products i think i think we do a good job of connecting with customers and understanding truly what their issues are right so yeah. that um which is difficult right i mean you know silicon valley and just technology in general much product development and decisions is an engineering-led thing yes. but there are channels and there are ways that we've built up over time at pure where I think those actually that's what I was talking about with Andrew Miller this morning. I mean, Andrew goes out, you know, to the Bay Area periodically right. and he understands the MRD process and the PRD process and provides feedback yep. 
um, you know, into engineering that actually they listen to and deliver, you know, into products. Which is, you know. which is absolutely fantastic. Uh, the only challenge I can see is, although it hasn't, you haven't hit it yet, is how far can you scale that with yeah. the people you have? Right. How long can you keep those relationships up? And, you know, today being able to walk around the show floor and for me to be able to chat to people I have known for the last three or four or five years and still have those conversations, how long can you keep that up? And I really hope you can because I that's so. the value of the company yeah. as well as, you know, as everything else. It's that ability to keep that that sort of personal um, aspect yeah to it. accessibility and that's yeah. just that's one of those things that you have to contend with as a as a company trying to grow from you know a billion plus dollars to two to three to five to ten, and yeah. and you know you, you have to have some type of growth uh, among that but I'm also hopeful I mean I guess if there's anything I, that's that's an observation over the last couple of years that I've been here those people that I initially saw that were very accessible are still this you know. Brian They're Schwartz still, is yeah. still going to come sit with you and do Absolutely. 13 minutes on a Zoom. Yep. That's really cool that he's carving out that time, yep. you know, to go into uh, to go into those kinds of things. And I'm always grateful for that. So yeah. uh, we haven't managed to set too many other things up this time around, just simply because of schedules. But we definitely do want to do more, and we'll, we'll do something over the next couple of weeks to make sure we don't lose the momentum of the event. But just that ability to have access to people, you know, people who say. Give, give me a ring. You want to know a bit more about the product? We can chat. It's, it's yeah. fantastic. And that really makes my life easier when I'm either um, writing about stuff to help people understand the technology or when I'm, I'm just generally writing about the industry itself. Mm -hmm. You know, I, it's much easier for me to talk about things when I'm getting stuff from you right. than it is when I'm having to drag information out. Yeah. And I do a lot of stuff where I go back and I look at many companies in one go and I'm trying to maybe look at a product or a feature or where they are in the marketplace. And it's interesting you can see certain companies, that information is really accessible, mm -hmm. and other companies, it just isn't. It's pulling teeth. And it's really difficult, yeah. 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 And and I, I've, I really like the fact that companies like Pure have really um, built up a reputation around being accessible. It's really important. Yeah, well, and we've elevated you and Stephen and, and others, you know, here as people that we want others to, you know, listen to. Um, you know, good, bad, and ugly, right? Being a pure VIP doesn't mean, you know, you're going to yeah. have orange pom-poms and be, you know, dancing in the aisles here. You're, you're going to give a real assessment of what you think about what we're doing. But I like that we at least give you that form and kind of yeah. elevate you to, to have access. Which right? is fantastic. Yeah, I wasn't sure what VIP was going to mean when we first saw that. <laughs> but thankfully, it is quite a positive thing. Yeah, I Although think Army, are... Army and Rena kind of did a good job yeah. with that one. Although... Yeah. The picture on the card is a bit awful. You know, like your picture again, on that one. It was never going to be good anyway. <laughs> no, that's all right. Hey, what'd you see? Uh, what'd you see yesterday with the launch announcements and at and at Tech Field Day, like that you saw? What yeah. what stood out? I mean, what what did the geek in you sort of uh, respond favorably to? Okay, so probably the most um, the first the first interesting piece was the fact that Flash Array continues to evolve. Okay, there was clearly a need to move on to something that was going to deliver a wider um, capacity in the market that was going to be able to sweep more technology off the floor, replace more of the legacy stuff that's out there, and it was good to see C come to the market okay. with Flash Array C. That is, uh, and and for that to be uh, out there to do exactly that. Um, that to me seems like an evolution rather than necessarily a big step. Okay. But if I was um, an enterprise, I'd be looking at it saying, okay, now if I want two or three preferred suppliers in my business. Pure can now be a stronger player in that market because now we've got 
high performance flash, capacity flash. We've got uh, NAS. We know we've got futures coming up around the uh, CompuVerde acquisition, which right. will add to that. Right. We know we've got Object Engine, which will allow me to do um, backup and various other um, things with object store data. So I can now see a broader appeal for the company just purely because of that announcement. It's no longer kind of a one-trick pony yeah, kind of thing, which, again, you've know, you got to start with a product somewhere. So nine years ago, you know, yes, there was a flash array product, but it's kind of this gradual fleshing out of the product line and providing choice yeah. instead of gaps. And, right. and, yeah. and basically meeting the requirements of large enterprises sure. that want to deal with a single provider for, good, for lots of good reasons. So that was really interesting. The specifics around dealing with the technology, the QLC and the TLC in there, clearly there's some challenges to that. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking forward to catching up with uh, Rob Lee about that at some yeah. point and going yeah. into detail on that because that, that aspect makes it a bit difficult to um, to obviously to work. I'll say that, let me just say that again. Probably what I mean is dealing with the NAND at that level is quite tricky. Mm -hmm. um, so clearly there's, there's work and effort gone into the product to make that work properly. So understanding what what impact that has from a customer perspective is quite good. But in general, um, just being able to have that wider spread of products is, is really helpful. Now, there was another feature to the Flash Array product which we saw, and that was the addition of storage class memory. Yes. Um, little side fact, I keep getting told not to call it storage class memory. But, uh, by, is, by whom? <laughs> by SNEA, that it oh. should call it persistent memory because they want to use that branding term. But I'd say everybody in the industry calling it storage class I, memory. I think that's, you know, it's become a recognized term. I, I mean, I kind of see them both used out there. Um, yeah. It's like a tug of war, I think, back and forth between. I'm, I'm tending more towards SCM, but... Yeah. So yeah. I mix and match with them, but... Either you know, way. Persistent memory, storage class memory, whatever you want to call it. Clearly, that's there to get uh, read performance accelerated yes. within the platform, which again is an add-on, which is a, another good step. There'll be customers who want to get to that next level, level of performance. But the nice thing is the way that's been implemented, in the sense that I, as long as I've got a slot free, I put it in, I start using it. Um, if I haven't got a slot free, I'm, I have to work around how I'm yep. going to do that. Yep. But ultimately, it's an incredibly simple to implement um, technology. The way that you've brought that to market this time around is really interesting in the fact that all of these things are becoming GA from day one. So we're not sitting here like we may have done in previous years where an announcement comes out and then we get the product 12 months later. I know, I know. We're actually yeah. getting them straight away. So what you've announced is, is there. So from an incremental perspective, those things are really, really, really good. What's probably fascinated me more as a company direction is the use of cloud. Okay. Now... If we, if we wind back to when the company was founded, and I think the first time we saw you on a tech field day or anything like that was, I think, 2011, I think. It was not long after launch. Um, and it was clear that it was all about storage. It was all about flash. And the cloud isn't about flash. It isn't about any particular storage technology because you don't really know necessarily what's underlying the, the stuff that's being delivered to Oh, it's, yeah, it's something else, right? Yeah. But you shouldn't have to know. It doesn't it matter. It should be abstracted, right? So up until now, you've always talked about flash technology and flash has been the basis of it. And then we're talking now about um, a more abstract way to look at it. But actually, there's real value to that. So moving to the cloud for me, for you as a company, was really interesting to see you'd made that leap. Initially, I hadn't seen the depth of how you'd implemented it. Now I've seen that as part of the tech field day event. Right. I see that you've actually gone away and tried to build something that uses the native features of the cloud to build a solution. 
Yeah, we didn't just fire up a hypervisor and, you know, exactly. just throw some things behind it. Yes. Yeah, Lots of people a, have done that. A lot of engineering. Yeah. A lot of companies have done that. They've just put an instance in the cloud, mapped some EBS volumes to that particular instance, and called that a cloud solution. You haven't done that. <laughs> and the, the reason that's re relevant and important is because clearly from an availability perspective, from failure modes, from all those things that could go wrong, you've delivered a solution that overcomes many of the challenges the cloud has to give the same level of the resiliency and availability in the cloud as you would have had in a, in a non-premises solution. So if I'm a customer coming to use your products, I see a consistent uh, set of APIs to manage the product, but also I'm going to be seeing a consistent level of availability and resiliency. And that's really important to me as a customer. Yeah, I think so, all customers want a consistent experience, right? And, and, and they don't want to care about where, you know, where the data resides. Yeah. Or the complexities that come with with shifting, you know, things back and Absolutely. forth. Absolutely. And right? that's one of the things I think with, if we are really going to see multi-cloud take off and be something that people genuinely do, there has to be a degree of consistency. Yeah. Because you can't tell a customer internally that their application is running on a platform today, and when it moves to the cloud, it might not as be as resilient, or it might fail at fall over, or performance will be a bit, a bit worse, and we can't really tell you what that's going to be. You know, you want it consistent. So yeah. I, I really, I really like the approach that was taken there. Um, the detail of it was was fascinating too. Maybe not really that interesting for a lot of people, but certainly yeah. I found the the technical challenges you overcame as part of that were very interesting. And that's going to be the subject of a a nice blog post because that's a really interesting you know problem to have solved. Yeah, and and you know kudos to the probably hundreds of people behind the scenes at yes. Pure who put in probably thousands or more engineering hours uh, yeah. in, in getting that done. I mean, I, I can't Absolutely. say that enough. It's, it was a kind of a, an amazing undertaking. And I, I'm glad you got to you know, kind of peel back the onion and see exactly what, yeah. you know, what, what that meant. And by uh, the way, that's the nice thing about the Tech Field Day events, yeah. that we can talk to the people who actually did it. Yeah. And we can question them and say, you know, how did we get to this point? Why did you make that decision? And then you suddenly find that all these things that you never even thought of because you've not gone and built your own solution in the cloud either. Yeah. You know, so until you start doing that, you don't know the, the, the risks and the challenges. So it's great to get that information out of people in a tech field day. And I would recommend anybody goes and looks at the videos once they're up. Does that mean we're saying nice things, nice things about Stephen oh, Foskett? Oh, we seem to have done, don't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah we just did that. We said we weren't going to do that, yeah, but I guess, oh, I guess we have, to, we have to give him, give him some kudos. Hey, uh, looking forward, what kinds of things are you excited about? Any predictions? I don't want to put you on the spot, but any, wow. any kind of uh, different areas that you see evolving or that you're excited to look into so that's a good uh, question. around data management? Yeah, uh, so here's a few things that I think might be really interesting in the future. Yeah. The next 18, 24 months. We've seen NVMe come along as a technology, both as a protocol and as a physical uh, manifestation. That's given us increased performance and really sort of changed the game for storage arrays and storage systems. I think we'll see the next evolution of NVMe over fabrics bring us different architectures and different um, solutions that could be very interesting indeed. So imagine where we were with HCI, but imagine now the ability to disaggregate and build composable systems hmm. where uh, storage could be anywhere on a, on a rack and we can just build a system dynamically. Interesting. That could be, I think, really fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Tied to that is a whole new set of memory technologies coming along that are going to allow us to connect high-speed memory to the processor in such a way that we can expand the address space of a server and make it look like it's got terabytes of storage connected to it. Sorry, memory connected to it, not storage. 
And I can see that that, again, could provide yet another step up in having to rethink how we run applications and how we develop things. So I think those sorts of technologies are going to be really fascinating to see. And at the lower end, we've started to see FPGAs come back in, accelerator cards. They're coming back, back in. in again, Absolutely. huh? The pendulum is swinging and back, the right? The pendulum is swinging like it does all the time. <laughs> it always does. And, and that idea that we would all move towards software sort of has gone away, and then we've come back to hardware, and software will become a, a thing again. I think the only thing I'd say with that, by the way, is that there was an assumption that it was all software or all hardware, but in fact, actually forever, it's been a mixture of the two. Right, And right. it's just been how we blended them together to make them work. But I see those could be really interesting to see how we're accelerating some of the issues and challenges within the lower end of the, um, of the storage um, market. So I think there's lots of new hardware stuff coming up. I'm really interested to see whether we'll fix the problem of mobility of hmm. data mm -hmm. um, without having to ship or copy where we can just make data more presentable in, in multiple locations. That could be a real technical challenge. If we could fix that one, that will change the hybrid multi-cloud sure. environment. Yeah. And definitely the multi-cloud. I mean, that's yeah. where multi-cloud gets a, lo a lot more real, right? Yeah, if you can absolutely. do that. Right. Um, so I think that whole data management thing, I think is fascinating. Just to finish on that, the, the data management around the way that platforms are being looked at at the moment is more about managing the physical aspects of the data, where it's put, is it protected? I think we'll see a lot more diving into the actual content to produce some value from it. I think when we can see that working really, really well, that will be really fascinating to see where we get. You know, um, we know we can do that already today, but when we can really automate that process and make it more and more um, valuable, I think right. that will be fun to see. Great responses. I totally put you on the spot you too. Did. I know because you you did a whole. Did you really just ask me that? You I was know? just. Did you really the, just ask me that? Trying to but, get the brain cells. But you extracted going. it out. You know, you've been doing this for so long. You you know those things, and and you track it, right? I mean, you know yeah. those things that are interesting to you that you're kind of like, or is anybody going to go do this? You know, where's that going to come from? Yeah, and then you you know you look across the industry and see. Um, so many different things come along and you think they're like little sparks or little um, stars that suddenly appear in the sky at night. Yeah. And you think, will that turn into something more interesting or will it just fizzle away and die? So, so much of, of, of the way I track or follow things is trying to find out which, one of the, which ones of those things will be the spark that turns into the flame that becomes the next technology and which ones will fade away. And you're trying to sort of look and see, is it marketing? Is it adoption? Is it the product itself what is it that makes those things popular and that's a really fascinating thing to be able to it do it is yeah i mean that's that's almost the whole crossing the chasm thing right i mean yeah. it's still it's still valid today as it was you know written however many years ago it was exactly. it's legit yeah absolutely yeah hey this was a lot of fun i appreciate it uh, no the, the podcast uh, is storage unpacked it is right? storageunpacked.com uh, storageunpacked.com and and uh, plug your blog I, uh, your blog's great too the blog.blog.architecting.it that's right, right. Yeah. yeah. In fact, that's moving, but you can still get to it through there. Okay. So we'll be architecting.it slash blog okay. going forward. So, but you can find, you know, search for me and you'll find me online. Perfect. Hey, tons of fun. I really appreciate you coming in. Thanks for your, uh, your input and, uh, and making time to come on the Pure Report. I appreciate it. Thanks, Ray. I love it. Yeah. And thanks everybody for listening and for subscribing. Please tell a colleague and we'll keep bringing these episodes out to you. And with that, we'll go ahead and wrap. For Pure Storage and Chris Evans, this is Rob Ludeman saying, don't look back, something might be gaining on you.